Let's stand for the reading of God's word, Romans 5, 21. The Bible says there that as sin hath reigned unto death, even so might grace reign through righteousness unto eternal life by Jesus Christ, our Lord. Now, quick note here. Chapter breaks are not inspired by God. Chapter breaks are put in by men to help us get to verses a little bit easier. Okay, this thought is going to be continued in chapter six, verse one. Look there. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Skip down to verse 14. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for ye are not under the law, but under grace. What then shall we sin? Because we are not under the law, but under grace? God forbid. Know ye not that to whom ye yield yourselves servants to obey... His servants, ye are to whom ye obey, whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness. We're going to continue our sermon from this morning in our series, The Generosity of God's Grace, and looking specifically at this topic of grace living. Grace living. Let's pray. Lord, tonight as we continue the message we began this morning, would you help us to see, Lord, not only how abundant and awesome your grace is, how it flows on us freely, how that we have been given access to it, and through that access to salvation, Lord, to holiness and to uh, your throne room. But Lord, also, uh, there are some things that you ask of us inside of this law of grace that we live in. So as we look at these tonight, help us, Lord, to have some of our shaping, our, our, our thinking reshaped, remolded. And, Lord, that we would not look at these things through the spectrum of pleasing an angry God, but, Lord, living inside of a system of, of a gracious God. And, Lord, doing these things for the right reasons and with the right motives. Help us tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. Okay, so um, I'm going to get through uh, reviewing the first couple of points for those of you that weren't here this morning. And kind of catch you back up to speed. And then we're going to jump right into the second point. Let me begin this evening by defining the word grace the way I did this morning. Grace is defined this way. The unmerited or undeserved favor of God given to those who are under condemnation. The unmerited or undeserved favor of God given to those who are under condemnation. Now, don't let that term uh, bore you or put you to sleep because that is powerful. That is awesome. That is life changing. Uh, and I made the statement this morning and I'll make it again several times this evening. God's grace is radical. It is radical. It is uh, on such a level that many of us fail to understand it. Most of us don't live uh, uh, within it, don't operate by it. Uh, to make it simple, God's grace is when God has chosen to give to us the abundance of his riches when we deserved exactly the opposite of that. 
Uh, I used the example this morning of if my son had disobeyed me, showed a repentant spirit toward his sin, and I, and I chose not to punish him due to his repentant spirit, the choice to not punish him would be mercy. I have withheld punishment that he deserved because I saw in him a repentant heart. Mercy is when you don't give punishment to someone that deserves it. Uh, uh, but it, I could take that a step further and say, you know what, instead of punishing you, get in my car and let's go out and get some dessert. Let's go out and get some ice cream or uh, his preference is chocolate cake. Let's go out and get some chocolate cake. And that would be grace. That's giving that's giving an abundance even when he deserves the opposite. And my friend, that's exactly what God's grace is. God pours his grace on us when it is the last thing that we deserve. Part of the problem with many Christians and part of the problem with the way many churches operate is they seem to teach or at the very least imply that you will earn merit or favor with God if you behave a certain way, if you live a certain way, if you operate within a certain mode of rules and you keep the do's and the don'ts. And my friend, God loves you and He's gracious to you regardless of how you behave. Number one, we're not entitled to God's grace. And number two, uh, we receive His grace in spite of us. And even when we live in sin, God still pours His grace all over us. In fact, I would say when we live in sin, God especially pours His grace all over us. God's grace is radical. It, it is, it, it is not only radical, but it can be and ought to be a revolutionary thought. Now, I gave two thoughts this morning, uh, and I won't expound on them, but just briefly touch them. Number one, we looked at the abundance of God's grace, the abundance of God's grace. And we talked in great detail about how God's grace is given to us in just a rich, wealthy manner. Uh, I worked as a valet driver uh, uh, for a short time. And uh, we would, um, uh, it, it was a side job, one of these deals. I was teaching school, not making a lot of money. And a friend of mine knew someone who had a valet service. And so occasionally I'd get a call and say, hey, do you want to go valet uh, at, at some rich hotel or different places? And so I was standing outside of a very ritzy, up, uppity, uppity hotel uh, in, uh, in inner city Baltimore. And I was parking cars. Well, this particular car that pulled up, I was not given the job of parking his car. Another one of the coworkers, my coworkers did that. I was given the job of bell hopping and helping him get into his room. And so I got his suitcases out of his car and I put them there on the uh, on the carrier and he handed me a $20 bill and I said oh this is nice just for putting his suitcases on the on the on the carrier and I got it into the elevator and he reached in his pocket and said you know you've been so friendly and conversational here's another $20 bill and I said oh wow this is awesome uh, unfortunately, we had to split the tips at the end of the night, so I didn't get to keep all this, but it was still really neat. And then we got upstairs, and I w- it was an older gentleman. I believe he had his wife with him. I, I got their things in their room and, and got their suitcases down, and, and he gave me another $20 bill. And then he said, young man, before you leave, you know, we're elderly, and we can't quite handle things uh, the way we'd like to, so can you pick, pick our suitcase up and put it up here for us and just get it unzipped and open it up for us? And so I did. I gladly did that. And I knew what was coming. And sure enough, out came another $20 bill. And in just a 
five to ten minute window, he gave me $80. Now, he was so abundant and uh, loaded with cash that money could just fall out of his pockets and the man would probably hardly miss it. Either that or they were going to come foreclose on his home next week. I'm not sure which. Uh, but he had plenty of cash to give. You've heard the adage of people that start fires with Benjamins, right? And people just have so much money they don't know what to do with it. That's how God is with His grace. At every turn, He is abundantly pouring that grace on us. And unfortunately, We look at that grace and we take it for granted. Yeah, so what that I just breathed another breath of air? Yeah, so what my car started again this morning and every time I get in it? Yeah, so what I turned the shower on and the water was hot? Yeah, so what my health is good for another month? Yeah, so what uh, I I still have uh, relationships with parents or uh, a spouse or with children? Yeah, so what that I have a job? And we get used to these things that are God's grace being poured out honest and we fail to see how generous God is with his grace. We talked about how that his grace is a gift and how his grace is generous this morning and look at several instances of that in scripture. And then we turn to our attention number two to our access because of God's grace. And we looked at Romans five two. in fact, look back there with me, if you would, Romans chapter five and verse two. The Bible says, by whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Now, there's nothing better than having VIP special access to things. And God says, my grace gives you access. We looked at specifically three points of access given to the Christian mentioned in Scripture. And what I did is what I do anytime I'm going to preach a sermon of this nature. I read every verse in the Bible that talks about God's grace. And I compiled a list and I had even cut things out because I just there's just so much there and couldn't get to it all, even in two 45 minute messages. But uh, we looked at an access to salvation Access to salvation. We looked at Romans 5.15 that calls uh, it uh, the, the grace of God. It's called a gift by grace that is purchased through Jesus Christ. And so the, all of you that have trusted Christ as your Savior and you know that you're saved, you are saved by God's grace. It was not because of your works. It was because of his work. And so our salvation comes uh, through the access of God's grace. Then we looked at access to sanctification. We talked about the process of being made whole, being made complete, being made holy. We talked about the idea of us living less and less like the world and becoming more and more like Jesus Christ and how that we can try to do that through the power of our own strength. Now, I believe what I'm going to say right here will help set up the rest of the message. So it's vital that I mention this here. Uh, But this morning, you remember how I talked about the the gentleman who wanted to give up smoking and he got so discouraged because he couldn't do it. And he just threw his hands in the air and said, I'm a failure as a Christian. Why am I even trying? And my advice to him was this. Instead of focusing on your failure and giving up cigarettes, focus on God's grace and grow in that grace and grow closer to the Lord Jesus Christ. You will reach a point in your relationship with him where the cigarettes will just fall away on their own. And I don't think it just works that way with cigarettes. I think it works that way with everything. We can focus on cleaning up our act 
And being a good Christian because the Bible says we're supposed to be a good Christian, doing the do's and, and don'ting the don'ts, if you will. But what we've got to learn to do instead is let's focus on God's grace. Let's focus on the relationship that comes with that grace. And what we'll find is slowly but surely God's grace will transform us, Romans 12:1, into the image of the Son of Jesus. And all of a sudden, those TV shows that are filled with innuendos and filth will lose desire to watch. So instead of giving them up, we'll lose desire to watch them. And and uh, that those friends that we had that were leading us in a wrong direction, we'll all of a sudden lose any incentive to want to spend any time with them. It isn't that we had to give up the friends. It's that God's grace grew us to a point where we don't want to do that. That lust that you struggle with, whether it is a covetous lust or maybe even a sexual lust, those things begin to fall off and fall away as you begin to grow in God's grace. You may have another habit that I've not mentioned tonight, but the Holy Spirit has dealt specifically with you. Hey, quit trying to beat that on your own and just grow in the grace of God and watch as he takes that away from you. It's the it's access to sanctification. Lastly, let her see. We talked about access to supplication. We looked at Hebrews 4.16 and uh, the verse that talks about coming boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. And we talked about bearing the burdens of others before the throne of grace and knowing that we can have a consistent uh, 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 spirit with God, a consistent walk with God because his grace flows so freely on us. Now, the purpose of the series here this evening is to try to help mold and shape some of your think, some of you, you're thinking away from a lifestyle of, of I've got to earn God's favor or somehow I've got to figure out how to be a good Christian on my own to turning it to a, hey, let's just keep the two greatest commandments and let God take care of the rest. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. And then, as Jesus said, on all of the on these two laws, saying all the law on on these two laws, saying all the laws and the prophets. So, if we will keep the first two, then by default we will obey the laws of the Bible. And it's a different mentality and a different outlook. It's a completely different way to live the Christian life. And unfortunately, I believe it's a way to live the Christian life. That for 30 something years as a Baptist was not properly presented to me. Now, I did not attend this church, so I don't know if it was properly presented here. I can just speak from my own experiences. But there was sure were a whole lot of getting up and guilt tripping me because I couldn't keep all the laws of the Bible. There was sure was a whole lot of you need to do better to perform better as a Christian. And I do believe that we're getting the cart before the horse, to use the old phrase, If we'll live under the grace of God, by default, the cart will follow the horse and we will perform better as a Christian. Not because we're trying to perform better, but because we're trying to live under the grace of God. Now, let's jump in here and look at the last two thoughts of the message this evening and look more specifically at the Christian's behavior within this system of God's grace. Number three, notice our attitude because of God's grace, our attitude Because of God's grace. When you start to realize that God's grace is the way that you want to live. You're living under you're living under this wonderful uh, uh, bank account of God's grace that's just flowing freely to you. 
and through you. And God has given you $20 bills of His grace at every turn for every little thing. And you start to focus on that and realize that. And by the way, God does give you $20 bills of His grace at every turn. Not actual $20 bills. That, that would be nice, wouldn't it? But He gives you His grace at every turn of your life. And listen, oftentimes, even when we go through a hard time, a flat tire on the side of the road, we get fired from our job uh, unfairly, uh, we get mistreated at church or at work, wherever it is, oftentimes even that is God's grace in disguise. We've just got to look for it. We've got to see it. When we start to look for God's grace and live within that system of grace, boy, our whole attitude begins to change. Let me give you three attitudes here, and this is not by any means a complete list. But let me give you three attitudes here I found in Scripture uh, of reading about God's grace preparing for this message. Letter A, notice a committed attitude. A committed attitude. Turn over to Acts twenty twenty four, And you want to hold your place in Romans because uh, Romans 5, we'll be back there in just a, a few moments. But uh, Acts twenty twenty four. we're going to look at several verses away from there. Um, one, two, three, four, five, six verses away from there. Then we'll come back to Romans in a minute. A committed attitude. Was there anybody more devout and committed to the cause of Christ in the Bible outside of Jesus than the Apostle Paul? There may have been, but within the pages of the Bible, man, this guy, he was reckless abandoned all in. Like, all in. You remember what he said at the end of his life? No man can look at me and say I didn't tell him. I can't say that. Can, and this is not a question. Maybe there's somebody here that can say that. Can anybody here say that they have told everybody they've come in contact with about the gospel? Maybe so. Don't raise your hand. What a testimony. This guy bought in all the way. Do you know why he had such a committed attitude? Because he was living within this grace system. He was living within a realization of how good God's grace was on him. Look at 2024. But none of these things move me. Neither count I my life dear unto myself, so that I might finish my course with joy and the ministry which I have received of the Lord Jesus to testify the gospel of the grace of God. He said, God's grace has so moved me and changed me that I must give myself completely in a committed fashion to getting this message, this good news, this gospel of God's grace to anyone and everyone that will listen. It, it oozed out of every pore of his being. As a young man, I played a lot of basketball. I lived, uh, I drank, I ate, I slept basketball. I would fall asleep with a basketball under my arm like a little girl falls asleep with a Barbie doll under her arm. I, I dribbled a basketball everywhere I went. I, as in the summertime, I would play anywhere from eight to fourteen hours a day. I was consumed with basketball. I went to a summer camp, a, a, a heavy, hard-hitting preaching summer camp with a with a backwoods, southern, wind-sucking 
preacher. And boy, he preached my socks off. And uh, I walked down the aisle at the end of the week and I had to lay down the idol of basketball and tell God that I needed to get that in line with with what it needed to be. Now, the second most important object in my life was my Bible, but it was second to a basketball. And God had to really work on me as a 14-year-old boy uh, in that area. I still played a lot of basketball. Now, I'm saying that to say this. You need to get to a place in your life where you are so cognizant of God's grace. I'm popular. Somebody took my picture. Amen. Um, You're so cognizant and aware of how good God's grace is to you that it challenges you. To want to tell others about that grace everywhere you go, you live it, you eat it, you breathe it, you sleep it, you wake up. It's the first thing uh, that you think about. It's the last thing you think about when you go to sleep. God's grace is good to me. That's what happened to Paul. Do you understand? Talk about Paul for a minute here. Do you understand that Paul was the enforcer of Old Testament law before he got saved? He had a memorized He lived them. He practiced them. You're talking about a guy who had trained his flesh to do what was right. Paul epitomized that. Paul was living by the law. And God knocked him over with a light and said, I want you to live by grace. And Paul became just as passionate about the grace of God as he did about the laws of God. And as he fell in love with this concept of God's grace, he said this. He said, I can't help. But commit myself to sharing this grace with others. A committed attitude. How about letter B, a caring attitude. Our attitude is portrayed a few ways, but mainly through the way which we communicate. Which we communicate. You know, your your husband or wife or roommate or parents, for those of you that are still younger um, or, or not married, your Co-workers, those of you that spend a whole lot of time around you, they know whether or not you are a grace Christian or a law-keeping Christian based on the way your attitude is. If you don't communicate to others in a way that's graceful, then you're all about keeping the laws. Now, again... We're going to talk about laws in a few minutes and keeping the the laws. That's important. I don't want to make it sound like grace Christians can just go do whatever they want. We'll get to that in a minute. That's not how it works. But people that are consumed with the laws of God and ignore the grace of God, they're rigid. They're mean. They're nasty. They complain. They use the Bible to beat people up with instead of the Bible to love. And it comes through in the way you speak. It comes through in the way you act and behave. Now, we communicate, humans communicate three different ways. Okay? This isn't um, uh, new information. Probably, every, I would venture to guess everybody or most everybody here already knows this. But for the sake of the message, let me lay it out here. There are three modes of communication. There are your words, your tone of voice, in your body language. We all familiar with this this evening? Your words, your tone of voice, and your body language. You can, um, you can say the right thing, but have a body language 
Just watch teenagers. You, you, you get to some teenagers, right? How was your day at school? They're slumped down in their chair. They won't make eye contact with you. It was all right. Well, based on your tone of voice and your body language, I'm guessing it was awful, right? Your words are saying one thing. By, by the way, by the way, your words are the least important of communication. Your tone and your body language matter most. Are those three dripping in God's grace? Are they dripping in God's grace? Turn over to Ephesians 4.29. Could you give me just a little more volume, at least on the speakers, if not the house speakers on my speakers? I would appreciate it. I don't know if it's loud enough out there. I'm straining to hear myself up here. Ephesians 4.29. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth. But, but, in contrast, that which is good to the use of edifying. Let me just pause here. Everything we say is supposed to build up, not tear down. Why? That it may minister grace unto the hearers. A caring attitude. The majority of what comes out of your mouth. Is it rigid, hard, and mean? Or is it loving, caring, and kind? God has not called us to be Old Testament prophets that warn people of impending doom, that beat people over the head with doom. God has called us to be New Testament Christians that follow a model given by the Apostle Paul where he says we persuade men. The body of work of your speech. Are you persuading people to Christ or persuading people away from Christ? Now, as you live in this system of God's grace, your words, even when you need to say something confrontational to somebody. And listen, confrontation is part of life. It's part of life. Your spouse is doing something that you can't live with. You've got to confront it. But you can confront it gracefully. You can You don't have to be a jerk. You're here today and your parents are doing something that gets on your nerves. The first thing I'd say is try to live with it. But if you can't live with it, go to them and talk to them respectfully and gracefully. And parents, if your child comes to you respectfully and gracefully, try your best to listen to them. And this is how we must operate. We must operate with words that are filled with grace that edify and build up. Turn over to 1 Timothy 1.14. 1 Timothy 1.14. Talking about our attitude. Our attitude because of God's grace. We've looked at a committed attitude. Hey, I'm all in. God's grace has so changed my life, I just can't help myself a caring attitude, uh, a speech that builds up. Look at 1 Timothy 1.14. And the grace of our Lord was exceeding abundant. There's that phrase, exceeding abundant, uh, labeling the grace of God, talking about its abundance. With faith and love, which is in Christ Jesus. So how should our attitude be? It should be an attitude of speech that edifies, a spirit of love that exudes from us, I have actually had people tell me since I've been the pastor here, you're not mean enough to be a pastor. 
You know what I say to them? Thank you. Thank you. You need to be more rigid. You need to be more harsh. And I say, how does that fit in line with Ephesians 4.29, 1 Timothy 1.14, and the Spirit of Grace? If you're looking at the screen, you'll see there the third verse, Colossians 4.6. Flip over there for me. Let's look at one more here. Colossians 4.6. You know, when we... When we try to live the Christian life through the power of our own flesh and we try to be that which we want to be, a couple of things end up happening by default. The first thing that happens is we clean up the outside, but we generally don't clean up the inside. I've lived this as a Christian for much of my life where the outside looked great, but inwardly I knew I was filled with dead men's bones. Call me a hypocrite. The system I was in, it's just how it worked. When you live according to God's grace, that grace begins to transform you inside, and then the outside takes care of itself. A couple of other things happen when you live by grace, and that is your Christianity becomes a long-term, lifelong achievement, not just a quick flash in the pan. Colossians 4.6, let your speech, I love the permanence of this verse. Be always with grace, seasoned with salt, that ye may know how ye ought to answer every man. Does that describe your speech? The truth is, most of us have a hard time being self aware. Does that describe the speech of the TV shows you watch and the radio hosts that you listen to. Quite a while back, I had to turn off a whole lot of the talk radio I was listening to. Find different talk radio hosts to listen to if I was going to do that. You know, if you're here tonight, you're a Republican. Just because someone puts a D by their name, they're not your enemy. You're tonight here and you're a Democrat. Just because someone puts an R by their name, they're not your enemy. And the media wants to do that to us. And it has done that to us. We're divided as a country. My friend, we've got to speak with grace. We've got got to speak with the spirit of love. You speak the truth in love. A caring attitude. Look at letter C, a compliant attitude. Turn over to James chapter 4, verse number 6. And I love how James works the word grace into this verse. Because i got to tell you, let me back up. I love how God uses James to work grace into this verse. I don't know that if I was writing this verse, I would have put the word grace in here. The two seem to be a disconnected thought until you really understand what grace living is. And then you understand These two thoughts fit together like hand and glove. Look at James 4, 6. But he giveth more grace. Wherefore he saith, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace to the humble. Giveth grace to the humble. Wait a minute here. If I'm understanding James 4, 6, there is a way to pinch off the wealth of God's grace as a Christian. And that is to not be humble. To live a life of pride. 
Boy, all of a sudden, you want to live a rigid life? You want to do Christianity your way? And you want to show God, look what I can do. Look how good I am. Look how well I can behave. And God says, you're not going to do that through my grace. Then you obviously don't need it. I'll just turn that spout off. When we, when we defeat a sin in our life through the power of our flesh, you know who we, you know who we give the credit to? Ourselves. Oh, I gave up cussing. Man, it was tough. This isn't a personal testimony, by the way, okay? Gave up cussing. Man, it was tough, but I gave it up. Instead, you begin to grow in a relationship with Jesus Christ. And it's, I woke up one morning and Jesus just took my cussing away. He gets the credit. He gets the credit. You know what that takes? It takes a spirit of humility. I won't make you turn over there, but 1 Peter 5, 5 says something very similar. Likewise, ye younger, submit yourselves unto the elder. Ye all of you be subject one to another. Be clothed with humility. For God resisteth the proud and giveth grace to the humble. I love this phrase, clothed with humility. Every morning I've got to get up and I've got to take off my bed clothes and I've got to put on the clothes I'm going to wear for the day. And as regular as it is that you've got to put on clothes, God says every morning, wake up and put on humility. Because it is through that humility that you will be able to see the grace of God and hand out the grace of God to others. If you live a life of pride, of look what I've overcome and look what I've done and look who I am and look who I, uh, what I've given and, and look how uh, dedicated to the Lord I am, then what you are is you're proud and God does not give His grace to you so you will not turn around and give it to others. Boy, I sure would rather be that person who gets up every morning and says, Lord, I'm unworthy, but I accept your grace. And if you'll give it to me, I'm going to walk with you and you use me as an instrument in your hand. And I will go where you want me to go. Say what you want me to say. Do what you want me to do. Lord, if there's a habit in my life that ought not be, I want to grow in your grace. So that just falls off. And you turn around and when something good happens, you say it was God's grace just being channeled right through me. Number four, number one, we looked at, um, uh, let's see here, we looked at the abundance of God's grace. Number two, we looked at our access because of God's grace. Number three, our attitude. Number four, notice our actions because of God's grace, our actions. So beyond just having the right attitude, the right disposition as we go through life, it, it ought to do more than that. God's grace ought to do more than that. In fact, when we begin to live inside of the grace of God, there are some actions that just begin to sort of happen on their own. Turn back over to Romans 5 and verse 21. I hope you hold your place there. We're going to look at Romans 5 and 6 quite a bit here under this point. It says there that as sin hath reigned unto death. Now, this this is a contrast verse. It's talking about that sin brings about death, is in charge of, reigns over death. Even so might grace reign through righteousness 
unto eternal life by Jesus Christ, our Lord. You know why Jesus Christ is uh, capable of extending grace to us? Because he's perfect. That's just why he's perfect. Now, grace reigned through righteousness. Grace is not going to reign through you if you're not living a life that's righteous. Now, I don't want to um, reverse the, um, the message I've been preaching today and say, you need to work hard at being righteous. That's not what I want to do tonight. But what I am going to tell you is that there are a whole bunch of people out there who are saying, I'm under grace. I'm under grace. That means I can do whatever I want. I can live however I want. How many of you here ever seen a church with a sign out front that said, come as you are? You guys ever seen churches like that? Those are those are churches. Oftentimes, I don't want to uh, paint. I don't want to paint with a broad brush here. OK, sure, there's exceptions to the rule, but oftentimes churches that say come as you are, what they really mean as come as you are and leave as you were. Hey, you just come in, we'll love you however you are. We're not worried about God's grace changing anybody. We're going to come in here and we're going to have an emotional time, putting our hands in the air and singing to God. And, and, and you go out and live like the devil the rest of the week. But you just come in and praise God with us and listen to a little ditty of a sermon. And you go home and, and God's grace sure is good, isn't it? Oh, but God's grace only reigns through righteousness. And if God's grace is not radically radically changing you, then you're not living grace. You're abusing grace. Let me give you an A, B, and a C here. Letter A, notice grace constrains me. Grace constrains me. Constrains me. Look down at Romans 6, 1. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Now, Here's the hard truth. In the Old Testament, if you broke certain laws, you qualify yourself to be put to death. When God brought in the era of grace, the earthly consequences fell off. Now, the eternal consequences didn't change. For instance, in the Old Testament, if you were convicted as a teenager or a child... Teenager wasn't a term in the Bible, but if you're convicted as a minor of being disrespectful toward your parents and that was discovered and found out and believed, you were dragged to the edge of town and stoned. Just how it was. How many, how many, of, you, how many of you think if we had that today, there'd be either a whole lot less kids or a whole lot less back talking? Maybe a whole lot less of both. <laughs> um, how many of you would have been stoned? By now. Okay. Back talked my mom a few times. Made sure my dad wasn't around because I would have paid the price. But with grace, the earthly consequence on some level falls off. The eternal consequence doesn't. If you abuse the grace of God, you're going to answer for that to God one day. Now, the truth is this. You can go out. You can live like the world as a Christian for years and then come crawling back to God when it's beaten you up enough and say, I'm so sorry. Will you forgive me? And the truth is, God's grace will forgive you. It will. 
That's why Paul wrote in Romans 6, 1, shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Are we going to take advantage of this? Are we going to take advantage of this? This is like you going off to college and your parents giving you a credit card. Saying this is for emergencies only. Well, you know, we had an emergency. We were hungry at 10 o'clock at night, so we ordered some pizza. And then you just start taking advantage. God does not want us to take advantage of His grace. Here's the truth. If we truly understand what grace is and how it operates and why it operates, it will constrain us. It will limit us from wanting to take advantage. Look at verse 14 and 15 of Romans 6. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for ye are not under the law, but under grace. What then shall, uh, shall we sin? Because we are not under the law, but under grace. God forbid. I really believe that people that take advantage of God's grace and in the seasons and times of my life where I have taken advantage of God's grace. It's been it's been because I have failed to really understand. How much God loved me. How much he cared for me. And how much I was hurting him. Listening to a dirty joke. Watching a filthy TV show. Looking at someone else with lust. Coveting after an item I can't have. Losing my temper. Telling a lie to get out of a sticky situation. Not giving my full effort while on the clock at work. Fell to see how disappointed my Savior was in my behavior. Last week we took time in the Sunday morning service to talk about God's perspective on the rainbow. Remember that? I think we lose God's perspective on grace. Man, every day you get up and I give you air to breathe. You live in the lap of luxury in the United States of America. I don't care how poor you are here tonight. You live in the lap of luxury, okay? Our poorest are still richer than, than the middle class of most of the rest of the world. For goodness sakes, I saved your soul from hell. And you go live a life of sin? You are abusing my grace. Here I am and I'm giving to you and I'm giving to you and I'm giving to you. And what are you giving me back? But habitual sin that you laugh at and enjoy and you abuse my grace and it hurts the heart of God. But some miraculous way he just keeps giving us that grace. Shall we continue in sin that grace abound? God forbid. Turn over to Jude chapter 4. Jude verse number 4. Jude's only got one chapter. It's the second to last book of the Bible, so you should be able to find it rather quick. It says, For there are certain men crept in unawares, who were before of old ordained to this condemnation ungodly men. Turning the grace of our God into lasciviousness 
in denying the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. What a damning statement. Turning the grace of God into lasciviousness. I sure don't want that to be the way I live my life. You know, as a boy, my dad exercised corporate punishment. And I was spanked regularly. And I deserved every spanking I got. And I deserved a whole lot more than I actually got just because I just got away with some things. I remember one day my dad came to me and I had really not done what I had been told and gotten busy playing, probably basketball. And I was... Um, I'd let up on my chores. The sun was going down and the outdoor chore I'd been given was not going to be accomplished. And I remember my dad looking at me and saying, Son, you didn't do what I asked you to do. And I remember thinking, He's about to tear me up. And I began to tense every muscle in my body. And then he just, looked, he just stooped his shoulders and put his head down. He said, Son, I'm not going to spank you, but I am very disappointed in you. When we stand before God one day at the judgment seat, I just don't know if he's going to say a whole lot. But what I'm fearful of is he's going to look at me and he's going to say, I poured my grace out on you every day. And what did you do with it? You abused it. Son, I sure am disappointed in you. And that's going to ring through my head for all of eternity. It ought to be that we look at sin and we say, I just can't do it. I'm constrained from doing that. I'm withheld from doing that because God's grace is so rich to me. Let her be notice. Grace compels me. Grace compels me. Turn over to 1 Corinthians 15 verse 10. Let's pick up a head of steam as we finish up the sermon here. 1 Corinthians 15:10, and then after that we'll look at 2 Corinthians 9:8. 1 Corinthians 15, 10, I'll begin reading. But, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace, which was bestowed upon me, was not in vain. But I labored more abundantly than they all. Yet not I, look here, but the grace of God, which was with me. Paul said, I don't want any of the credit for the work I've given God for the life I've lived. It's nothing more than the grace of God having been fostered within me and come pouring out through my mouth and pouring out through my actions and pouring out through my life. God's grace is this well that's springing up within me and I can't help but labor for the Master because of God's grace. Hey, there's going to be days where your flesh doesn't want to get up and do what's right. It doesn't want to get up and go where it ought to go. But it ought to be that God's grace is so rich inside of you that you're so focused on it, that you're so busy living in it, that it compels you in the weakness of your flesh to get up and go for the Master. 
God's grace ought to compel us. Turn over to 2 Corinthians 9, verse 8. And Paul continues this thought with the second letter to Corinth recorded in the Bible. And it says there, And God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that ye always, having all sufficiency in all things, may abound to every good work. Sir, you cannot love your wife through your flesh, but you can love it, love her by the grace of God. Ma'am, you can't reverence and respect your husband through your flesh, especially when he's being a knucklehead, but you can love him and reverence him and honor him through the grace of God. You cannot be an employee to an employer that's a jerk through your flesh, but you sure can do it through the grace of God. And no matter what relationship it is, no matter what work God's called you to do, you cannot do it uh, uh, sufficiently through your flesh, but it will compel you. It will push you. It will ignite you. It will launch you forward to the work of God if you will do it through grace living. Why? Because God's grace is radical and it will get us to do some mighty, wonderful, radical things for God. One more verse here. First Peter chapter four, verse 10 under this point. One more verse under this point. First Peter chapter four, verse number 10. Turn over there if you would. Too many Christians, they uh, they'll serve the Lord for 5, 10, 15, 20 years and they get bitter. They get bitter. You know why? Because they weren't doing it through grace. They were doing it through self-sacrifice. And every man hath received the gift. Even so, minister the same one to another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. You've been given the gift of grace and you've been commanded to turn around and share, minister, uh, serve as a slave the world around you and give them the grace of God. I love the phraseology here, the way uh, God has Peter put it, as good stewards. You know what a steward is, right? Somebody that's been given something to take care of. God has given you His grace. It's not yours, it's His. You are to steward it. You are to share it. Letter C, and lastly, notice, grace changes me. Grace changes me. I'm not going to make you turn there, but let me read one more verse for you here. It's a verse we looked at a few minutes ago. Acts 20.32 says, And now, brethren, I commend you to God and to the word of His grace, which is able to build you up. And give you an inheritance among all them which are sanctified. This sort of piggybacks on our thought from our uh, access to sanctification. But my friend, if you live under God's grace and you'll live by grace and you'll live, you'll do grace living. What you'll find is that you won't be able to help but change day after day. Month after month, year after year, you'll look more like Jesus. You'll look more like Jesus. It's funny. Thirty-four years old. Be thirty. Uh, actually, I'm, I'm thirty-five years old. Excuse me. I forgot how old I was. I'm already forgetting how old I am. I guess I'm getting old here. Um, thirty-five years old, and when I was a teenager. I would watch some of my dad's mannerisms and I would resent them. And I would say, I'm never going to say that to my child. I'm never going to do that. 
I'm never going to have that idiosyncrasy. And every now and then I'll have to stop and chuckle and I'll say, I got that from my dad. Little things, too. My dad always turned the volume up and down on the radio with these two fingers. I don't know why he'd reach down and use these two fingers. I'll catch myself doing that and I'll say, got that from my dad. You know, I want the world to look at me and say, you remind me of somebody. You remind me of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's not going to happen through the power of your flesh. That's going to happen by walking through grace. Second Peter 3.18 Peter finished his letter to the churches of Asia Minor with this challenge, but grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Are you growing in grace? Or are you growing through the effort of your own might? One has a pretty short ceiling. The other one, the sky's the limit. Let's let God's grace totally, radically change us. Lord, tonight, would you help us to see not only what we do, but why we do it. Lord, may our actions and our attitudes please you. May they be done through a spirit of grace that's welling up inside of us and pouring out from us. May it constrain us from sin. May it compel us to righteousness. May over the long period of our life, may it greatly and profoundly change us into your image and likeness. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand to our feet. The altar's open. The piano's playing. I encourage you to come and kneel and pray. Tell the Lord that you're ready to do the Christian life by grace. We're going to be be partaking of the Lord's Supper in just a few minutes. I would encourage you at this time, if you haven't already, to confess your sin to God. Make sure your heart is right. Make sure there's not aught or a problem between you and a brother or sister in the Lord. Make sure you're holy and clean and pure before God before you partake of that.
going to do the Lord's Supper from the platform tonight. Our wireless mic system is um, in the midst of getting fixed. So for the sake of being on the microphone, those watching on the live stream or hard of hearing will be able to hear me. We come to a time where we remember the great sacrifice of our Savior. We're not commanded how often to do it. We're just commanded to do it. Because we get busy in life and we forget how important Jesus' death is to us. And so Jesus knew, Jesus knew how forgetful we'd be. And so he said, take some time as a church to remember my death and the suffering I did on your behalf. These Lord's Supper elements are, um, are symbols. They're symbols of what Jesus did for us. The bread represents His body, just as it's broken between our teeth. His body was broken on the cross. Here's the powerful truth. If you had been the only human being ever to live... Jesus would have found a way to come and die just for you. That's how much He loves you. That's how much He cares for you. I've tried to imagine what it would be like to take my son or my daughter and give them up. And let them die in place of a family member that I loved. And I can't imagine that. I've thought about giving up my child and letting them die in the place of someone who had been pronounced guilty but was really innocent, and I can't imagine that. I've tried to imagine giving up my son's life for someone who had committed atrocious crimes. That's even harder to imagine. But Jesus Christ looked ahead in time and He saw you while you were a sinner, Romans 5.8 says. And He proved His love to you. Love is not just a feeling. More importantly, love is an action. God proved His love to us through the action of killing His only Son on a cross. And making Him into my sin and your sin. So that the wrath of the Father could be satisfied and the grace of God could flow freely on us. We're going to distribute the bread, and while we do that, if you haven't already confessed your sin or haven't finished confessing your sin to God, I would encourage you to do that. If you have confessed your sin and your heart is clean and pure before God, while it's being distributed, would you, in your mind's eye, look at that little piece of bread in your hand or maybe just close your eyes and imagine in the theater of your mind what it was like that day Jesus walked down the path, down the road, down the Via Dolorosa to Calvary. Watch as they pound the nails in His hands and His feet. Watch as they raise Him up. Watch as they gamble for His clothes and they mock Him and they wag their heads. And while you're picturing all that in your mind, remind yourself often that He did that for you. And allow the love of God to flow over you. 
The piano will play and the deacons will distribute the Lord's Supper at this time.